now at this point we're getting up to things that we've all watched extremely recently right like some of the things are still things mm -hmm. that are on my list to watch right 2008 2009 is a very very short year for me because that's basically current day current day stuff yeah, yeah. i actually have about an equal number of things for 08 and 09 both slightly more than 07 i've actually got a steady decline and what i notice here is from 2008 as well as 2009 the amount of shows being produced drops significantly from each year to each year. Last time we said, I think 2007, mm -hmm. like over 200. 2008, I've got roughly 150, so that's over 50 fewer shows getting made. Yeah, yeah that's a big drop. It's a big drop in production, and I think it's necessary because mm -hmm. it's just, it was just too high. Before. Now, I yeah, want to yeah. bring up one of the big things that came out this year. There's a technicality to it. It wasn't anime, but the Speed Racer movie came out this year, and it was a really big push, really Lots of money put into it, and it bombed. American Hollywood production, the Wachowski yes. brothers, from the people who you know made it big from the Matrix back when anime was the hot thing. They tried to do it again, and and I liked the movie, but it was a huge failure. I really liked the movie a lot, and it was just a disaster. Yeah, nobody really big likes disaster. it. I think maybe years from now, people sort of respect it as this weird cult art film that just has a lot of money behind it. But I think the huge failure of Speed Racer really put a big giant mallet. The Monty Python foot came down and crushed all those ideas of all the potential live-action anime movies that were supposedly going to get made. Like, oh, they're going to do Robotech, and they're going to do Akira, which may still happen, and uh, that uh. sort of thing. After Speed Racer, everyone was like, whoa, anime? Let's back off of that stuff. Which is probably a good thing, because, I mean, how many good anime live-action movies have there been made? Yeah. Not many. Not a whole lot, especially not on the giant Hollywood level. <laughs> Yeah, well, how many Hollywood adaptations or remakes in general have been good lately? Like, almost none. Not many. Lately, they've actually, the track record's been much better, lately. But for the history, like, generally eh, speaking... For comic book movies, maybe, but, like, even movies for American cartoons, it's pretty shit lately. I can see you arguing that, definitely. But, yeah, obviously, now the big trend is to take these you know, American cartoon or comic book or, you know, old properties and make them into films. But regardless, I'm I'm seeing the A-Team when it comes out. That's going to be a good movie. Just like how Transformers 2 Revenge of the Fallen was a good movie. Oh, not quite as good as G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra, which was a, a very good movie. Putting it all on the line. I guess it also hurts in terms of just any sort of anime things. You can't bring up the name to a Hollywood executive. You say anime, never mind. Mm, yeah. Back to actual Japanese stuff. Yes. I don't want to start off with my favorite shows of the year, so I'm just going to start off with... This was a year that uh, <laughs> Ponyo came out, mm -hmm. and people really started to wonder what's wrong with Miyazaki. I really started to wonder, honestly, when Howl's Moving Castle came out. Yeah, that was a weird movie. I think that Howl's Moving Castle started out strong, like good Miyazaki, and then it just ended very, very badly. It just kind of wandered around. It wandered around, and then suddenly there was a war, and then the resolution was very, oh, right, I have to end this movie. Mm-hmm. I thought that there were elements of really good Miyazaki in that Ponyo didn't really have much of that. I'm not going to say it's a bad movie, but no, I, I don't like it quite as much as some of my friends like it. They absolutely adore that movie and worship it. Ponyo, for me, it's like, okay, this is an acceptable movie, but I, I would never put it as, like, the upper echelon, one of the greats. Right, right. A lot of the hardcore Miyazaki yeah. people 
I think maybe they just want to believe, and so they keep saying, like, you know, as I keep re-watching Ponyo, I'm deciding it's one of his best movies, and I don't know if you just, like, don't want to tell yourself, hey, maybe <laughs> this crazy old man should have retired 10 years ago with Princess Mononoke or Spirited Away yeah. and called it a career. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, Ponyo definitely came out this year. People are divided on that. Another theatrical release, people are sort of split on the Skycrawlers. I mean, Mamoru Oshii's uh, new movie, mm. he came out. I still haven't seen that. Same He's very critical of Ponyo. Did the Skycrawlers. I like the Skycrawlers quite a bit, but it's a very Oshii film, definitely. It's mm. not really a... Which can be a good thing or a bad thing. Right. <laughs> right, I mean, right. I, I don't think it's insufferable, like, say, Ghost in the Shell Innocence is probably, like... <laughs> My least enjoyable. The most thing ever done. But yeah, the Skycrawlers, I thought, was a sort of a return to form for Oshii. People are sort mm. of split on that, and that is where we got the attention brought to the issue that, hey, nobody can actually draw planes or mecha anymore right. in 2D. We have to do it in CG because no one's capable of doing it. The CG uh. 2D animation bland in the Skycrawlers tends to work a little better because the action scenes are pretty much 100% CG. There are some parts, though, where they interact with a CG object and it just looks weird. Well, I imagine as a theatrical film, also the bigger budget helps. Yeah. I'm glad it was a movie and not a TV show because I, mm -hmm. I don't think anyone would have standed for that. But, of course, to make the Skycrawlers even happen, Production IG has to put a gun to Oshi's head and be like, hey, guess what you're making again? That's right, Ghost in the Shell. And so Ghost in the Shell 2.0 came out. You want to talk mm. about remakes? Ugh. We didn't even touch on this at our panel. But Ghost in the Shell 2.0 is basically the Star Wars, the special edition right. of Ghost in the Shell. They sort of took it and changed the colors from green to orange to get away, two things, to get away from the Matrix, even though Ghost in the Shell was first, and two, to bring it more in line with Innocence, which had that orange color scheme. Why would they want to do that? To show off, here's our new animation technology, here we can do this in high definition and remaster it. Those two things seem completely idiotic. Get away from a more popular franchise that you're associated with and B, try to look more like a movie that fewer people liked and saw. I think after The Matrix ended, I think the value of The Matrix was basically lower. People don't really like The Matrix anymore. But they probably like it more than Innocence. Mm. Ghost in the Shell 2.0, I'm not going to really recommend it. I mean, yeah, they did at least do a lot of work on it, but I would never show people when I'd say they've never seen Ghost in the Shell, oh, sure, let's watch 2.0. Just like how I'd never say, right, let's watch right. Star Wars the Special Edition. No, you're going to watch the real Star Wars if you're going to watch that movie. Yeah. Let's see. Some other things that came out. Most of my picks are actually TV shows now. Yeah, I've got a fair number of shows uh, listed. Yeah, I have like one OAV, one or two movies, and the rest TV series. Yeah, we mm -hmm. already mentioned Macross Frontier. This is kind of yeah. the year I've got it listed for. And this was one of the big flagship titles of the year that everyone was really big into. At the right. beginning, at least. At first, because, yeah, this was finally the new Macross. And indeed it is the new Macross, but... It's better than Macross Zero? You have to think about that. We already talked about it, and then said we weren't right. going to we talk, we weren't gonna talk <laughs> about it. I mean, yeah, let's, Andrew let's go from on. Destroyal Podcast DX and the Vcast brought up a great point that Macross 7 is actually the majority of Macross ever made at this point. And when you think yeah. of like the total amount of Macross made, the batting average for Macross isn't super-duper high. I would no, say not. maybe half of them are good, if that. And so it's interesting that people are still crazy over Macross, and just not very much of it gets made. Like I said, I think it's got a lot to do with that this is 
anime's thing. It's not manga's thing. It's not some novels. It's anime's baby. Right. There's nothing else that precedes mm. Macross as far as source material. Yeah, nothing else. And so it's harder for it to get a following. And another one that's harder to get a following, the story behind this anime sort of encapsulates my feeling on like the current state of anime, where we are as far as the industry goes. Is this Kaiba? Kaiba's definitely on my list, but I wasn't, I wasn't going to mention it, but we may as well talk about it now. Kaiba mm. was Masaki Yuasa's new TV show. We reviewed yeah. this a couple episodes back. We did mm-hmm. a sort of all Masaki Yuasa thing. Really strange 4C show. Like everything Yuasa does is very like weird and trippy and bizarre. Not typically the thing that most fans either in Japan or America like. Right. But if you like weed, this is a show for you. No, it's actually a very good show that I like, but it's not a crowd pleaser. Do not show it at your anime club. No, no, no. But yeah, I was actually going to mention sort of demonstrates what's going on with the industry. Michiko Ehachin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, I forgot this show came out that year. It was this show made by Manglobe, who sort of specializes in making these shows that are destined to be accepted in America and have international appeal. Yeah, but they're not really popular in Japan. Right, and so Michiko Ehachin was very much like in a similar vein of like Cowboy Bebop and Samurai Champloo and that sort of thing. Michiko Ehachin Mm -hmm. seemed to have a similar art style to it. Not really the same, but reminiscent of it. But I can't figure out why it hasn't been licensed. Everyone was wondering, it's like, are they asking for too much money? Or it people- must be that reason, because it's purely a show I can see this on Cartoon Network easily. It should have been on the Cartoon Network. It should have been released on DVD. I can't imagine that it would not sell well. People have said, you know, oh, that would never sell here. When I brought it up on the ANCAST on my first appearance, they were like, oh, no one would ever buy that thing. Because it's like, I don't know, whatever reason they gave. But I think that that would be a successful show. I mean, it takes place in the sort of like faux Brazilian setting. The music is very unique. It's not a very Japanese, culturally based sort of show. Did Samurai Champloo do badly? It did very well. Because that, that's the only thing that I could think of, was that if Samurai Champloo, like, okay, let's say Cowboy Bebop did really well, but then Samurai Champloo didn't perform well, maybe they were leery of Michiko Ehachin, but if Samurai Champloo did well, too, then I can understand if it's a lot of money, but if it's a lot of money for something that seems like it's definitely going to sell... Samurai Champloo, it sold, like, 100,000 copies before it even got on... Cartoon Network, and I'm sure 75,000 of those copies were sold because Samurai was in the name. Right. <laughs> and maybe in that sense, Michiko Ehachin isn't really as action-packed a show. Maybe some people mm. might say, oh, you know, this is a show directed by a lady, whatever that's worth. No one even knows it's directed by a lady. No, you wouldn't even yeah. tell. The lead characters are female, and maybe some people get that Thelma and Louise kind of vibe from it because the mm-hmm. main character's a criminal and they're on the run from the law. But, I mean, this is a great show, and I really do think it would do well. I think yeah. it could really ex- yeah. expand outside that otaku market, who, by and large, in my experience, don't really like it. When's the last time you saw anyone cosplaying from this show? I guess you'd have to be pretty <laughs> they, secure in your body. They might get arrested for indecent exposure. <laughs> I don't think that people don't like it. I think that people just don't know about it. It wasn't big in the fan sub scene. Mm-hmm. People that have seen it tend to like it. Yeah. Right. I think that it's just a completely unknown show. I'll agree with you on that. Other things, almost everything I've got is remakes, but as far as like a show that's not licensed yet that needs to be, 2008 is the year of Detroit Metal City. 
Yes. Well, the manga, at least, is coming out here. I had that as possibly one of my favorite shows of the year, just because it was mm -hmm. one of the most fun shows that I've seen in a long time. Terrific show. Yeah. Studio yeah. 4CA, like, to subsidize Kaiba, they put out a show that a bunch <laughs> of people would watch. And that's another one. Why isn't this on the Cartoon Network, like, after Metalocalypse? Maybe because it's harder to edit. Metalocalypse doesn't use rape as a joke. That's what I mean. It's harder to edit for TV to get Detroit Metal City. But America City. loves rape jokes. I mean, look at Observe and Report. I mean, that whole movie is like a, a rape joke. I refuse to watch any movie where Seth Rogen has marquee billings, so I'll take your word for it. But Detroit Metal City, I'm glad the manga's at least coming out, but for some reason I think people are forgetting about Detroit Metal City between the fact that it mm. was just in 2008, we don't have a second season and there needs to be a second season. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're going to do more because there's definitely a lot more material in the manga. Why isn't there a second season? Seriously, it was a short show. They need to record more music for it, I guess, especially if they yeah. do like the festival and there's all the other bands. Right. Mm. It may just be that sometimes there's just a gap, like how there's been this gap between Kaiji Season 1 and Season 2. I don't know why that is with some shows, but some shows it just takes a little while to get around to the next part of it. Hajime no Ippo as well. Yeah, we'll get to that next year. It's a very cheap show, though. Like, there's not a lot of animation to yeah. it or anything, and they've got the material. Yeah, all the money, so. is, That's all true. The money is in music production for that, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. There's another couple of things that I wanted to talk about briefly that are um, going back to the, the trend of remakes. 2008, the remade uh, Yatterman cartoon. I actually had that listed for 2007, but yeah, I agree. I actually have it listed for uh, 2009, <laughs> so none of us are sure. But again, that was a great show, and no one fan-subbed Three episodes. No one cared yeah, about it. Yeah, they fan-subbed, like, yeah, three episodes, and then they stopped. I guess I can understand, like, it's very much a kid's But it's show. such a Every clever episode is the show. same exact formula. No, 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 I agree. I, I like it, but I can understand, I think, why a lot of people wouldn't necessarily put effort into fan-subbing it, as disappointing as that is. I mean, I guess it's it's very similar to, like, if you watch, like, you know, Scooby-Doo, it's every episode is the same basic plot. I saw some clips later in the series where they had Obama-kun versus Hillary-kun. Yeah. I think what it ultimately boils down to regarding Yatterman and the fact that no one even fan-subs it is just that the vast majority of American anime fans simply will not watch or download, let alone purchase non-serialized anime television shows like anything with the static characters or stories that are self-contained a literally no progression of narrative that is a no-no that's failure in the u.s so gege no kitaro the 70s super robot shows uh the big stuff everyone in japan watches the sazai-san chibi maruko-chan doraemon every like big institution in japan is stuff nobody here gives a shit about because it's non-serialized. I mean, I don't know why that is. Maybe people just get so much of that in our regular entertainment that we don't need to go to a foreign medium for it. Like, people watch anime to get something different from what we get here, which is probably why if you tell people the show they like is actually a sitcom and not slice of life, like, they keep saying that phrase, they get super-duper defensive because sitcom, that's American entertainment. So I think when they're given something like Yatterman that's just so formulaically similar to stuff they always watch, it gets skipped over. Of course, the bitch of it is that the same is true if they're given something that's too different, like the Kaiba stuff and Masaki Wasa 4C things. Yeah. I really want to see the rest of that show. Um, it's very fun. It's very much in that realm of kind of faithful adaptations. They really didn't change the character designs 
or anything like yeah. that. It's pretty much straight up just the same. The remakes this year, although there are several, they do span the board as far as faithful versus very different. Yeah. Right. And then the other one that I thought was notable was uh, Hakuba Kitaru. Oh, yes. Yeah. We also showed that during our panel and, you know, right on the subject, right. you want to talk about the original Gegege no Kitaro and the various remakes of that. Yeah, there have been other remakes as well. This one, um, much, much different in tone and style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some might say it's closer to the manga. I really like the visual style of this. Again, it's very reminiscent of Requiem from the Darkness or even in some extent Gankutsuo, only not quite as severe as that. It looks like it's very inky to say the least. Mm-hmm. Very like yeah. dark, textury, like the Max from MTV is always the right. analogy I use. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, if you like the weird horror yokai kind of stuff, Kitaro is the torchbearer of that. Matt Alt would have been a, a great to have him on to talk about that because he wrote a whole book on the subject of yokai. Also, another series that came out, and there were two OAV series that came out this year that I liked a lot that's kind of rare. Rin, Daughters of Menosine came out this year. Rin, Daughter of Nemosyne. Yes. Been released here in the U.S. just recently. Yeah, they just call it Rin because Nemosyne is hard to spell, let alone pronounce correctly. Mm-hmm. Based off of, you know, the Greek, was it a muse or, you know, some something sort of like, like that? It's. I think she was the mother of the muses related to memory because that's where mnemonics come out. It's one of those very rare yeah. OAVs that reminds me of OAVs from a long time ago. It was kind of unabashedly, like, violent and sexual. They really played up the sex part of it for the U.S. release. Yeah, I did a review of it in Otaku USA, and I kind of talked about that, that it seems like kind of a throwback to some of these older OAVs. That it's, I think it avoids being too schlocky, but it's definitely very indulgent in its sex and violence. Yeah, I'm with you as far as it being very much like a 90s OAV. I said the same thing for Straight Jacket last time, though that one is purely just the violent OAV-style action as opposed to also the sex and nudity. I do like it. I own it, although, you know, I, I kind of wish... It ended better? Yeah, I agree, too. It ended better, right. Yeah, the ending is very bizarre. Not my favorite ending. Let me go for uh, another TV show that I thought was uh, interesting. Doesn't really have uh, much of a a following, but I uh, was really into this for a while. They did a TV show for Golgo 13, which is the only Golgo 13 uh, TV show ever made, but it's about 50 episodes. There hasn't been very much Golgo 13 anime. Basically, every decade, we get one. So in the 80s, we got one movie. Then in the 90s, we got one 45-minute OAV. And then in the 2000s, we get one TV show. And maybe in the next decade, I don't know, we're going to get like one streaming web. I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen at the rate that Golgo 13 comes out. It is what it is. It's all about Duke Togo, you know, the perfect machine Mm -hmm. of snipe, shooting dudes and, you know, having sex with hookers and uh, shooting dudes and having sex with hookers. And uh, and then he shoots a dude and has sex. It's a great show. (laughs) Again, uh, didn't have much of a following in the fan sub circuit. I had to watch pretty much the entire series raw. They're still fan subbing it, right? Very, very slowly. Yeah. I think someone is at the halfway point, like eventually after two years. But it's a difficult show to fan sub because the dialogue is is kind of tricky and technical. Plus, to go back to my earlier point, it's a non-serialized work. 
which is apparently just anathema to American anime fans. I mean, by the time this episode's posted, they did just announce that uh, Sentai Filmworks is going to be releasing the TV show in America, both dubbed and subtitled. I guess the first 13 episodes come out in July, so here's hoping it does well enough that we actually get past where the fan subs stopped. Because again, hard to translate, and it's also not a show for everybody, and so people would much rather mm-hmm. pick something a little more flashy and spectacular. And speaking of, yeah. uh, you get your one show every 10 years, I got my one show every 20 years. This is the year that Cobra the Animation, the Psycho Gun, came out, a four-part OAV series. What do you mean every 10 years? Isn't there another one that just came out this they year? They all kind of came out in succession. The Cobra stuff was all for the 30th anniversary. Yeah of space adventure cobra this is the idea of like okay you don't really need to have seen what happened prior but at the same time it's basically a sequel and the only people who are watching this are like people who watched it as a kid who are now sitting in front of the pachinko machine every day after work they see oh cobra a pachinko machine excellent and then they make an anime yeah i like the psycho gun a lot and in fact On the Otaku USA website, my review of the original Space Adventure Cobra anime, like the movie, should be posted by the time you hear this. So go there, otakuusamagazine.com, and and read that and let me know what you think. Yeah, I I loved the Psycho Gun. Very exciting. Very Cobra-esque. Crazy, crazy ending. Loved it a lot all the way through. And it's only four parts long. On Crunchyroll, nobody's watching it. No. I think you look at the stats and be like, what is the lowest watched thing on all of Crunchyroll? And it's Cobra. Just like, <laughs> Cobra, Cobra, yes. Cobra, Cobra. <laughs> no one loves Cobra at all. Oh. Yeah, it's... I love it, and it's a shame people don't like it. And you got to remember, Cobra was a Shonen Jump thing. Yeah. Really, for these new OAVs, they did punch it up to be more sane, and the women are now wearing much more ridiculous outfits than they ever did in the original Shonen Jump property. Wait, wait, wait. It was possible for the outfits to get more ridiculous? The thong thing wasn't really prevalent in the original Cobra. Oh, okay. That that was added like within maybe about I'd say two months. I'd say after the Cobra started. No, I don't know because like the TV show. Oh, because that's like the only things I ever associate with Cobra is dude has a gun arm and there are lots of sluts with thongs and ridiculous outfits. The movie doesn't have like the thongs going in it yeah. and doesn't even have the nudity going uh. in it. It's the TV show that came out a few months after the original movie that's just tits and ass galore. No. <laughs> and there's very little sex, so you know sluts is not uh. the best term. We just call all women sluts to be progressive. (laughs) Well, now, let's see what you're made of, little brother. (laughs) Come now, little brother. After all this time, you must be able to do better than that. Even your little slut, Julia, put up more of a fight than this. So did Ryak, our dear departed father. He's dead, Ken. I killed him! Also, on the subject, I mean, uh, last episode I mentioned they were doing a series of Fist of the North Star remakes and adaptations and such. This year we actually got a TV show, Rao Gaiden, which is released in America as Legends of the Dark Kings. This is all a prequel all about like the villain and how he became mm. the big bad guy of Fist of the North Star. That's the one with the catapult. Catapulting himself and, you know, having the heart-to-heart <laughs> conversation with the horse. So is it like how to be a douchebag 101? It's not then, about or? how to be a douchebag. It's just like how to be a bro. Oh. Here's how we're going to <laughs> siege this castle. All right, you go in there, get naked for this guy, and then run away from him like as part of a game. 
then light a candle. Now you, other lady, snipe the guy with a crossbow from a mile away <laughs> as soon as the light comes on. What? This is our scheme. And then I'm going to catapult myself over the wall. <laughs> Rao Gaiden is a completely ridiculous show. I think they sort of understood that that Tatsuahara character design is this antiquated thing that people don't go for. So they went for a more modern art style. Again, it's just the actual content of the show is so nuts that I'm amazed it got released in America. But yeah, one of the first things that Sentai Filmworks Section 23 put out, and I guess it must have done well because they're releasing a whole bunch of new stuff now. Hmm. I also wrote an Otaku USA web article entirely about that, which you can also read at www.otakuusamagazine.com. Under the anime section, they are about to re-release the full set of it because they've gone back and dubbed it, and it's going to get a Blu-ray release even though it was totally not animated in high definition. Speaking of uh, being a bro, as it were, we talked about Kaiji in 2007, and I believe we talked about Akagi before that in, in like, 05. 2008 was another big gambling series, though not one by uh, Nobuyuki Fukumoto, One Outs came out, which is sort of the, the ultimate fusion of baseball and gambling. Impossible to get people to watch it because the opening is the gayest opening uh, ever made. Yeah. It's like the main character and his pants are like zipped all the way down <laughs> to let you know that he's completely shaved, guys. Right, right. Very underappreciated series, but quite good. We did review it in a past episode of AWO, so we won't yeah. go too heavy into it. It's very much like Akagi, except replace Mahjong with baseball. One of my favorite shows as well came out this year, and I reviewed this relatively recently. Uh, that was uh, Sunred. Yeah, Astro Fighter Sunred. Yeah, I was going to mention that one, yeah. Another one! Should have come out in America. Yeah. Never did. I was talking to Aaron at Anime Boston, and I was like, why has Adult Swim not licensed this? Like, it is a perfect Adult Swim kind of show, and I just can't understand why it's not on Cartoon Network. I wonder if a lot of the humor in it is perceived to be too Sentai-ish. Or Japanese. I think it's really understandable to anybody, I mean, just as a general superhero kind of thing. And people have seen Power Rangers. Yeah. Aaron said maybe they're just not aware of the show's existence. I think maybe they just don't want to pay more than, like, a bag of Doritos for whatever it is it costs (laughs) to produce their own content. That's true. Yeah. A bag of weed. Right. Pack of Twinkies. Another bag of weed. The thing is, is that it would take an American company to license it, and then they have to pay Adult Swim to put it on air, because Adult Swim will never do it any other way. Mm. It's kind of a trick to get it on there, but it's a very fun show. It's much more clever than most Adult Swim shows are. Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like an Adult Swim show from back in the good yeah. days of Adult Swim. Right, like Harvey Birdman era. Yeah, when C-Lab was good. The second season especially is very good. They got a little bit more money that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another um series with, like, short episodes that's more, like, cute than funny, uh, Cheese Sweet Home, also, started in 08, I believe. The manga is going to be coming out from Vertical. If you like Cats, it's a good show to watch. The episodes are really short. If you like Gory Dismemberment, it's a really good show to watch. <laughs> if you like gratuitous sex and violence, it's excellent to watch for that. Yes. <laughs> yes, lots of uh, tiny kitten gags. <laughs> it's probably a good move that they're releasing that as manga, because I don't think that it's the kind of thing that people would buy on DVD. 
Hmm. Yeah, it, I don't think it's the kind of show that you buy. I think it's just something that you watch if it's on television. So maybe like a streaming. And there is a streaming. And I think it is streaming on Crunchy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's probably the best way. Yeah. Did anybody watch Titania? I tried no, to watch I never Titania. Got to it. And I really, really wanted Titania to be good. I mean, I remember Andrew was saying like. She didn't like it? His reaction to Titania was basically like that clip from Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. You were the chosen one! You were the one who was supposed <laughs> to, you know, that was what Titania was supposed to be. It's like the pedigree of it. Mm. It's like, Nobu Ishi Girl! And, you know, Yoshiki Tanaka, the people who made Legend of Galactic Heroes, bring you Titania. And it comes out and it's like a dude drinks tea and acts vaguely Captain Tyler-ish. Do you think it's just that people expected it to be the same as LOGH, and it wasn't? I think they did expect, like, a big space opera type thing, yeah, and it, it's not really that. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out if it's that it's a bad show, or that people just had maybe the wrong expectation of it. I think people had very high expectations, and it turned out to be a middle-of-the-road show. Ooh. Oh, okay, because I haven't gotten around to watching it yet. I think it's a combination of the two. That's the worst, when people have high expectations and it just doesn't live up to it. But at least it was an okay show, as opposed to a total shit show. Yeah. Like the glass yeah. fleet or whatever. I actually got two more here before we move on. There was uh, another remake this year that is about to come out on DVD, courtesy of Funimation, uh, Cashier and Sins. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Very uh, different take on neo-human Cashon or Cashier, as it were, which was a uh, 70s Tatsunoko production that was later remade in the 90s as Kashan Robot Hunter. That's what they called it in America. Aired it on Sci-Fi mm-hmm. Channel. Had Yasuomi Umetsu character designs, the guy who did a kite and stuff. And a really terrible live-action movie. Yeah. Doesn't exist. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, the original was like pretty emo, and the new one was like super emo. Yeah, the very, very drastically different art style in Cashier and Sins. Yeah. A pretty interesting show. Nonetheless, I think it is underrated. I think if you're looking for like a super duper action-packed violence epic kind of thing, it's not really that sort of show. It's a little more thoughtful than that. Interested to see how it does because mm. Funimation doesn't have very many new releases scheduled for 2010. Right. Cashier and Sins is one of like three or four. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it does okay. The last one also just came out by Funimation, and I'm pretty certain it's doing well for itself. Slayer's Revolution. Yeah. Mm. You want to talk about sequel or remake or nostalgia grab? This is like the ultimate version of that, because Slayers yeah. was this huge franchise in the 90s, pretty light comedy fantasy thing. Yeah, one of the big early anime titles over Still here. Still lots of people today count themselves as like, I got into anime through Slayers. Right. Mm-hmm. It had a um, really good dub for its time. A lot of people still prefer that dub. And so Funimation, when they licensed this show, they got as many of those people back as possible because that's very important. And the Japanese even knew we got to get pretty much all the voice cast back. And even though it's not animated with cell animation, we're going to go the extra mile and make it look pretty much as close as we can possibly make it to like a 90s show and the music is going to be very 90s style yeah the opening was Mm. a pure like megumi hayashibara single exactly what you'd expect to hear it was followed up the next year by a slayer's evolution r which is basically you know the next set of episodes but i just sort of lump them all together but that was 2008 so let's read what matt alt summarized 
these two years with 2007 to 2008, the first visible cracks appear in anime's hip facade, an overabundance of anime made purely for anime fans, rather than for the traditional demographic of children and teenagers, knocks down the average profit per title as hastily animated niche productions flood the market. Anonymous complaints from industry insiders incensed at atrocious pay and working conditions continue to mount. More and more of the basic work needed to train the next generation, such as in-betweening, or the grunt work of animating the many intermediate cells between key frames, is farmed out to second and even third world countries, including by some reports, North Korea. This results in a serious hollowing out of the industry's future talent pool. Meanwhile, in the United States, the number of anime shows airing in the television marketplace drops dramatically. So, yeah, from the big picture scheme of things, yeah, we still got some good shows mm-hmm. coming out. But, yeah, all that stuff is completely true. The problem is going to compound and get worse over time. We've only got one more year left, so let's just go for I broke. very little for this year because I'm still watching stuff from this year. Yeah. yeah. 2009. I have about the same amount as I did for 2008 for this uh, year. Oh, I have very few shows. I have very few things. Once again, there was a drop. We saw it drop down to 150 from over 200. And in 2009, it dropped again to about 125 mm-hmm. or so. Of that, I like even fewer now. I think there's maybe 10, 13 that I liked, if that. Hmm. One of them that I'm sort of in between on, I don't know if it really is a great show, but it's got its following and it actually came out last year. There was a new Birdie the Mighty. Hmm. Mm. And I thought Birdie the Mighty was this cool little OAV from back in the day from the creator of Pat Labor. Yeah. I was very surprised that that came back. I didn't think of it as something that there was a lot of nostalgia for, a lot of continuing popularity for as it was with most of the other shows. We got, like, Birdie the Mighty Decode and, you know, some stuff like that, and I guess it's it's doing well for itself. There's another season, I think, Decode R. Yeah, I think like it's uh, airing now. I think that the manga got really popular, but I'm just very curious as to even how they got another manga for it. Just this weird little title from back then. Also this year was Shin Mazinger. Shin Mazinger Z. Yeah. I did review that on the Awesome Cast. This, um, we'll review it here so we shouldn't do like a pre-review, really. After Tetsujin 28, which was a good five years ago, yeah. 2004, Yasuhiro Imagawa did it again, except instead of remaking a Mitsuteru Yokoyama property like he did with Giant Robo and Tetsujin, he remade, uh, of course, Gona Guy's famous uh, Mazinger Z title and sort of took his similar approach to it. I'll leave it as say I liked it, but it's got a couple of weird little issues with it, and yeah. I, I at least I hope they make a sequel to it. I will review it at some point. It's, yeah, it's an yeah. up and For down. For now, show. you can go to the awesome cast and hear my spoiler heavy <laughs> thing with those guys. On the subject of similar amounts of screaming and burning passion, although um, substantially more uh, Fujoshi friendly, 2009 Sengoku Basara adaptation of the really popular video game. Not too popular over here, came out, they called it Devil Kings, and they removed all of the Japanese historical references, because, you know, Americans don't know anything about Japanese history. But a really well done anime adaptation. Very, very well animated. Really entertaining, really ridiculous, although it's... Yeah, very over the top. It is uh, incredibly, incredibly gay. I mean, everyone I try to show it to, it's like, it's so gay, it it actually overrides all the craziness of it, like they can't even get into it. But I like it because my (laughs) tolerance for that sort of thing, I guess, is very high at this point Mm. as being an anime fan. It actually didn't bother me as much because it, it is 
horrifically. It's just everything it is, is crazy. It is horrifically gay, like unnecessarily so, to the point that it's, it seems like it's trying to exclude a male audience from watching it. But then there'll be a scene of like a bunch of guys running down a hill with giant bombs on their back, like something you'd see out of uh, I don't know, like Serious Sam. I don't know. I don't know. There's there's some pointless tits for the fanboys. Very too. very few. <laughs> like two I shots. don't I don't think it's that excluding. The guy bait is like equivalent, if not slightly less than like the Code Geass season two guy bait. I don't know. It seems to me like, I guess from my perspective, it's not any different than the amount of gratuitous female stuff that we have had to put up with for ages. So And girls typically don't like to don't watch know. those shows either. Right. It's like I said with Godanar. I think uh, Sangoku Basara and Godanar are kind of like the same level of like the craziness that's indefensibly there, but I don't care mm. sort of uh, element to it. But yeah, I mean, I can't fault anyone for saying they aren't going to watch it for that reason, but it's... It's a show that I liked. And I think they did recently announce that the new Sengoku Basara game will be brought out here as Sengoku Basara proper, not Devil Kings or anything like that. We mentioned this earlier, but uh, Eden of the East... I was going to say, that's my favorite show of this year. Yes. It's still a tentative for best show of the year. Yeah, I don't really know what I could pick. There's a lot of shows in 09. Eden of the East is one of those things where it's this roller coaster ride of craziness yeah. that people are still hoping the ending brings it all together. Right, because there's some movies that are going to be coming out. People are still like, if the ending sucks, go, oh, the ride is still good. But at the same time, the first movie came out and people were like, what the fuck, mm-hmm. dude? I, and now they're just hoping that the second movie changes it. Now, I actually didn't know mm. about the first movie, but this was one of those shows that pins it all on everything coming together. I thought that the last couple of episodes did a very good job of that, even though it didn't answer some key points right. that bothered me a lot. I actually have deliberately still not watched more than the first episode of it, because like, I watched it and I was like, I'm going to wait, because this can really go either way. And I know a lot of people mm. really like it, and a lot of people are like, I don't know. So I mean, I need to see that movie, because the last episode covered a lot, but there, I was like, wait a second. Yeah. That was not answered. That's a big deal. And How did Jason Bourne appear in this guy's apartment? <laughs> that wasn't answered either. And I think the new season of Hajime no Ippo is probably like a much more clear-cut, yeah. yes, this is awesome sort of thing. New challenger. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it was originally planned for like 96 episodes. It got cut down to about 26. Supposedly, we're going to get a third season, but hey, where is it? New season just started. I don't got my new Hajime no Ippo again. What gives? Well, we still don't have Kaiji season two, so... Yeah, I don't know. It's slightly distressing. It seems as though Madhouse has the most good anime titles whose status is just unknown or delayed, possibly due to the money troubles they've been having, despite probably being the studio with the best overall quality average. Hajime no Ippo is probably one of my tops for the entire decade. Like we said, way at the beginning, when we started 2000, I said Hajime no Ippo was one of those things that I fell in love yeah. with. Ten years later, I'm still waiting for more Hajime no Ippo. I mean, yeah. we're getting it. So we were sandwiching the decade then with Hajime no Ippo. It is the Alpha and Omega. Yeah, 2009 was a good uh, year for sports anime, because on top of Hajime no Ippo, um, there's also Cross Game. A uh, really, really good baseball series uh, from Mitsuru Adachi, author of Touch. Very similar to Touch, but I think it's still a really fantastic show. Do you think that maybe Cross Games should get like compilation movies, or does it benefit from just like just watch all fifty episodes? I don't think it's as slow as Touch, so I don't know if it needs it as badly. I'm really shocked that apparently Viz is going to release the manga here. Wow, we haven't really gotten very many yeah. sports manga or baseball anything. 
it's sad because I'm sure it won't sell very well, even though it's really great, but I'm glad that they're releasing it. I hope that it gets a good translation and everything. Also, this one might be a little more debated, but I actually really liked Taisho Baseball Girls. Taisho Baseball Girls. Girls. That was probably the one I would say is uh, easier sell. It's not as long. I never saw that. Yeah. Generally, the way I would pitch it to people, it's... I don't know if you'd like it, Gerald, because, like, the closest thing I can compare it to is Princess Nine, and I know you didn't like Princess Nine. I liked it for a certain part of it, then the girls battled the guys, and then it just turned into cliche-arama. Well, Taisho Baseball Girls, as you might guess from the title, takes place in, like, the Taisho era of Japan, <laughs> like the early 1900s, and it's about girls playing baseball in this era where nobody plays baseball, let alone girls. Right. And I, I thought it was a, a well-done show. It wasn't the piece of crap it could have been, given that premise. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously made to appeal to guys who like kind of moe girls, but it's not like you can't like it if you're not a moe fan. And it's not like the girls have no personality. Like, they're trying so hard to make it moe that the girls are just completely empty. And it's not even like you have to really like baseball, because nobody in America likes baseball. No, they only like drinking that surrounds baseball. That's softball. Hey, they don't drink during baseball? <laughs> well, yeah, if you're spectating it, but in softball you drink while playing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hated the movie A League of Their Own, but I like this. Take that for what it's worth. We didn't really mention these at all throughout the years, but pretty much every year throughout the decade, there was a loop on the third TV special. For that mm. year. A lot of them have been not very good. Mm -hmm. I greatly enjoyed the 30th year anniversary episode Zero First Contact. Yes. Green versus Red was awful. Yeah, it awful, really awful, should have been awful. better given the yeah. premise of that one where it was like the Lupons over the ages. They could have done some cool stuff with that, but God, it really just could have been a lot better. Stupid. Yeah. 2009 was Lupon the Third versus Detective Conan. Was that special a crossover? I still haven't gotten to. We've see been trying that to watch that, and the subtitles don't want to work. We're trying to watch it on the bro oh, box. Oh, on your media box, yeah, that, that might be problematic. Detective Conan is like this huge thing in Japan, and over here, Case Closed never really yeah made the same impact. Again, like Golgo Thirteen, and yes, Loop on the Third, Detective Conan, or Case Closed is non-serialized. The stories are self-contained, the characters remain static, and anime fans in America do not like anime series like that, even though those same exact people will gladly watch South Park and Family Guy. But between like this huge franchise of Case Closed and the franchise that endures like Lupin the Third, I thought it actually uh, did a decent job as far as not being complete throwaway whatever mm -hmm. stuff. I, I thought it was an entertaining special. Definitely better right. than some of the other ones that came out this decade that are just like, yeah, whatever. You know, there's better stuff out there. Mm -hmm. The 2010 loop on the third special, The Last Job, is notable since it's probably the last time Goro Naya is going to be the voice of Inspector Zenigata. Since, uh, in, aside from Lupin, who's now voiced by uh, Kanichi Kurita, the entire cast has remained the same since the 1970s, and they're all very old at this point. The only reason it's not Yasuo Yamada as Lupin anymore is because he's dead now. I mean, we've been making jokes for years about how they must be cryogenically unfreezing Goronaya just to prop him up and have him warble like, Lupin, into a mic for like the last decade, but I think he's finally stepping down due to the failing health, and that's probably going to be afflicting the rest of the cast soon. Right. I guess on a similar kind of classic franchise thing, um, 2009, another new Saint Seiya thing came out, Saint Seiya Lost Canvas, which is actually a prequel. It does probably require some kind of general knowledge of the world. 
from Saint Seiya, but it's different characters and everything, so it's probably a little more new person friendly. And also, the spinoff manga that it's based on has a different artist, so it's totally different character designs than the original Saint Seiya. I haven't finished it yet, but what I've seen is pretty good. As we said, this is kind of stuff that we're watching now, or we will get to in like another year or so, so... Some of the stuff is on the air still. Yeah, some of the things that I hear about are things like, I've got it as a tentative. Maybe this will be good, but I can't say for certain. Like, all three of us now, the main one for that, Yamato Rebirth. Yeah. I don't know if this is a good movie. I haven't seen it. Yeah. I don't have a means of seeing it. Maybe it's going to come out in America. Who knows? Yeah. All I know is that Tim Eldred said it was good, but Tim <laughs> Eldred is probably going to say any Yamato is good because he flew to Japan to see that movie in the theater. The most expensive movie ticket ever. Yeah. Essentially. I've got a few more definites, things that I've either finished or watched enough of. So I guess I could go through a couple of those if you guys don't have any more that aren't just kind of like, eh. I've got one that's like a big pick for me, but it's sort of a contentious one. I had some bad stuff. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'll put mine out there first, and uh, normally this wouldn't be a contentious one, but uh, Summer Wars came out this year. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. Mamoru hosted a second movie. This movie is pretty much universally praised by everyone who's ever seen it, except for Gerald. Yeah. Gerald hates this movie. I didn't like this movie at all. <laughs> at all. Uh, I really think he did it again. I really like The Girl mm-hmm. Who Left Through Time, and I really like Summer Wars, like I downloaded it, I showed it to a friend, and we were like, yeah. let me just show you the first five minutes, and then, you know, he was like, no, we gotta watch this whole movie right now. <laughs> yeah, when we... Just from the opening scene. When we do a review of it, yeah. I can go into detail why I'm very bothered by the movie. It was basically, if memory serves, it's like, as an IT professional, I strongly object to the depiction of technology. That's one of the things that bothers me, but I'm very bothered by the main character. Okay, I thought it was just like, what do you mean you didn't secure this data? This is important when well, I mean, you're you know, setting up your network. That, you know, as my profession, I have to be bothered by that because it, there's zero research they could have done. Right, it's like the full Monty where they're watching Flashdance and complaining about her welding yeah. technique. Like, they could have just... I don't know, I mean, it's not really intended to be super realistic, though. You know they had IT guys that they could have just asked about. But that's not the reason why I dislike the movie. It's more that the main character bothers me, and I think that he was a tool of the girl up till the end, and that they don't actually have a connection at the end of the movie. Those are things that bother me a lot more about it. Mm. That's another one. Is that coming out in America? Has anyone announced it? I doubt it. Not yet. It had a screening. It, it? Did, it has some screenings. It had some showings in, like, if you were lucky enough to live in New York City, yeah. you know, you were able to, like, get something because I guess Roland Kelts is a gangster and is able to, you know, arrange these things. But as far as I know, theatrical movies don't really seem to get picked up by the anime publishers, which at this point is basically Funimation and Media Blasters. And I guess Bandai and even Entertainment... even a little bit less Media Blasters now. Yeah, yeah, less because they're probably going out of business soon from what we hear. But who knows? Yeah. The former ADV Films, the uh, Section 23 or Sentai Filmworks or whatever, they seem to be building themselves back up bit by bit, but they're not really in the position for like a big movie release just yet. Anime movies, they tend to only get picked up by like Sony, Warner Brothers, and all of them are drastically scaling back on like this whole anime thing because it's not what it used to be. So right. who's going to have the resources to license and release something like Summer Wars now? Yeah, I don't know. Can't really think of anybody. Mm. We will review it at some point. I do not trust the multiple recommendations that I've gotten for this, but every single person who has seen it says it is good. Canon, which is not to be confused with canon, even though it's all like, you know, key visual novel stuff. Oh, I haven't watched it, so I don't know. 
I have not seen any of that, no. It's supposedly like this action show about a girl, but I'm like, you motherfuckers, you steal men's souls and make them your slaves. Every single person who is recommending the show also recommends Fate Stay Night, and I will not be deceived <laughs> by your lie. It's like if I flip the Polaroid image of Alan Mendez over, it's mm. don't believe his lies yeah. is written on the back. And maybe that's something you can watch two episodes off and get a good idea of it. Who knows? Yeah, other things. The new Fullmetal Alchemist. I thought that was 2008. Came out. No, 2009. It's a show that I'm still watching. It's one of those things where it's like every week yeah. the new one comes out. And it's like, oh boy, let's right, watch right. this shit. Everyone I know who is keeping up with it likes it immensely. Mm-hmm. Probably the big th- series is this remake of Fullmetal Alchemist. I mean, if you like the manga... You'll like the the new series because it follows the manga very closely. It's weird. I I really don't hear people talking about it. It's one of those things where a bunch of people are definitely watching it because you can look and see like here are the numbers and it's very high for Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. But discussion wise, you don't see too much of it. But it's one of those things that like people are watching it. People know about it. Not even at cons or anything. Like there's no panels yeah. about it. There's well, no cosplay for it. There's just nothing. Well, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily notice that the cosplay is distinct from the previous Full Metal Alchemist. But there's no and I definitely Full Metal still Alchemist people... stuff. No, there's definitely people cosplaying. I've seen the frequency them. of Edward Elric's has drastically decreased from even the last yeah, two years. Yeah, it's not as much. But I still see people. Yeah, it still exists. And there was, in fact, a Full Metal Alchemist panel at the last convention we went to yeah. over the weekend. That was. I mean, I'm packed. a little behind on it. I'm not sure if they've reached the point yet where it diverges from the previous anime. It absolutely did. That, that happened very quickly. Okay, because I wasn't sure if maybe that was why there wasn't as much discussion. There was not much initial discussion because I would say the first 13 episodes are... Yeah, pretty much the same. Pretty much the same except condensed and faster retellings of what's mm-hmm. already transpired in the original right. TV show. That was the point where the TV show diverged from the manga... Right now, the series is actually nearing the final episodes, and even though I, I greatly enjoyed the original Full Metal Alchemist TV series, Brotherhood just blows it away. So I recommend you just totally marathon through the whole thing in one shot, or like a week, or something like that. Is the comedy still utterly mm. shitty? Here's how it is. Because it is so condensed in the beginning part of it, that means the shitty jokes are very condensed in the very beginning of it. So it's like, all right, before it was like, three jokes where it's the same fucking thing it's like okay you're short i get it and then like in brotherhood it's like six jokes per episode it's like okay shut up i'm not watching you stupid cartoon tell me when you deviate from (laughs) and so a lot of people i think what happened was they just were like call me when it changes and it was about two and a half months from the time it started and two and a half months in anime time that's a whole season So maybe Mm. that's what you're observing, Gerald, is like, hey, how come no one's talking about it? It's like, okay, well, the viewership numbers are there, the count is there, but the talk maybe isn't there. Mm. You wouldn't know, but again, the internet is deceptive like that. I even pointed it out, all this talk on the internet about Strike Witches. That's a new Funimation release. People are on the internet blogging the fuck out of Strike Witches. Uh And yet at the Funimation panel, which packed a room of hundreds of people, they said, okay, sneak preview of Strike Witches. Maybe five people clapped out of this room of hundreds of people. And they said, okay, and now Dragon Ball, everyone goes nuts. Right, right. And that's the danger of gauging anime popularity purely by online discussion Because there is an echo chamber effect by which the the fans who are most inclined towards the otaku conceit heavy shows, specifically the Moe Fujoshi heavy work, they're the most likely people 
to blog, they're the most likely to post on message boards and comment sections, but it's the same as like the news on television, like what matters to the Washington Beltway news journalists isn't necessarily what matters to the rest of the country, it's the same for anime. Most people in America don't give a shit about K-On, and they'll never buy that, but Brotherhood, that's a big show, I'll give you an idea, I mean, that... Shin Mazinger, Ippo, those are probably my top picks of the year. So I think Full Metal still matters more to people, just like how Dragon Ball still matters to people. And that brings me to the next point, Dragon Ball Kai. This is actually um, one of the number one anime on TV right now, period. I meant to watch it, but I have not It is so good. Uh, you go back and you watch... I heard it's crazy how much filler they cut out. I heard that like episode 6 was like episode 20. That's right. That makes it a watchable show, then. The premise of Dragon Ball Kai is let's read tell Dragon Ball Z, cut it down, re-edit it, and like, you know, remaster it and all that stuff, and just yeah. cut out all the filler stuff, all the parts where people just stand there and stare at each other and yell. Like, we'll just pace it the same way the manga is paced. Awesome. Like, right now, there are 50 or so episodes into Dragon Ball Z Kai, and they're about done with the whole Frieza saga. And originally, that was like episode 100-something. You go back and you watch Dragon Ball Kai, and it's like, oh my god, I forgot like how amazing dragon ball z was when it was on right. like narratively on speaking not like running on mm -hmm. it's interesting that all the dragon ball z merchandise has now come back they just rebranded it all dragon ball kai <laughs> and like the games now sell and like yeah. everyone is still watching it you look at the viewership ratings the top tier is still like one yeah. piece but then dragon ball again it's gonna be huge i think when it comes out on tv although i can't believe that nickelodeon got it and cartoon network didn't snap that shit up. i can't believe it because this is what we've noticed about the cartoon network and they're like anti-anime policy and not really picking things up i guess they did pick up brotherhood but it's like it's on at midnight on sunday or something weird i mean it just seems like dragon ball is such a license to print money that yeah. it just seems ridiculous for them dragon ball to. is what put cartoon network on the map yeah isn't it not on regular um uh, some weird nickelodeon channel though it's like deep hmm. cable it's not like regular nickelodeon it's like nickelodeon like x teen or something like Oh, I don't know. You could be right about that, but I, I thought it was regular Nickelodeon. No, it's but I mean, it's true that Naruto is on like Disney XD as opposed hmm. to like the Disney Channel. I might be confusing them, so that's that's possible. I think maybe you're thinking of Disney XD is where Naruto Shippuden runs. Yeah. Mm, but as I check, yeah, Dragon Ball Z Kai is not going to be on regular Nickelodeon. No, it's on the Nicktoons channel, which is satellite digital channel only. Comcast doesn't offer it because they suck. So yeah, you need like Dish Network or DirecTV or something. Again, Naruto is also this thing that was like the big thing, and Cartoon Network is God, like, are eh. they actually already up to Shippuden on US TV? Yeah, Shippuden started about six months ago on Disney XD. I stopped watching Naruto and reading the Naruto manga yeah. at least six or seven years ago. Like, yeah, I left off ages ago. I didn't even get to the time skip where, you know, everybody is older now and it's still... Got past that. I just watched about ten episodes of the anime and gave up. I don't dislike Naruto, I just dislike nothing happening. Yeah. Naruto had a hundred episodes of nothing happening. Yeah, it really should be paced a lot better. And that's just this phenomenon of noticing this old, like, 80s, 90s shonen stuff, how well it still holds up. Mm -hmm. I just finished writing an article about Ruroni Kenshin and I'm like, wow, I forgot how good... Kenshin was when it was on and that's just how bad the filler was that just killed it. Yeah. Naruto and Dragon Ball are the same way and to see it just rise back from Dragon Ball Kai to just overtake everything that's running now. What kills me about Naruto is that the fans have put up with more shit from Naruto than 
any other show. In I any can other think fan of. base ever. Any other show because Dragon Ball mm-hmm. GT got so bad that it ended. Yeah, and the Kenshin filler got so bad that it ended within thirty episodes. It never got as long and as yeah. bad as Naruto did. And Naruto, the fans kept fucking watching that show. Yeah, people stuck with Naruto for a hundred episodes. They kept watching that 100 show. A hundred episodes. Yeah. And even Bleach is like, you know, 75 yeah. episodes of filler or something crazy. It's I haven't even attempted Bleach. I've still not seen a single episode. They said like 48% of Bleach was filler. Yeah. That's why I haven't bothered, because I've heard it's just so rough. I will watch Bleach if someone tells me, watch this episode, this episode, this episode, specific episode number. Like, I was able to do that for Kenshin and be like, skip this one, this one, this one, this one, just watch this, this, and this by specific numbers. I can do that for Kenshin and just say, like, okay, watch these. Right. Someone do that for Bleach, and I will watch Bleach. As soon as I said that I was going to watch Bleach, our mutual friend Misha messaged me with a excellent list of every episode and what episode it corresponds to in chapters in the anime and what is filler, everything. He told me he would do that for me, and he never did it. Like, all the people who said I've that. i got the link somewhere. It's like, if, if someone gives me that and be like, okay, mm. tell me where to watch and i'll watch like your soul society arc or whatever it is i'll do it but yeah i'm not watching like 300 billion episodes of this cartoon anyway yeah there were a few other good shows in 2009 uh gwyn saga yes the uh anime adaptation of the fantasy novels um novels are being put out by vertical quite good anime adaptation i thought Definitely worth checking out, although underappreciated, Yeah, I very think. underappreciated show. I mean, I'm not really a fan of fantasy, but this is more of a low fantasy as opposed to, like, the high fantasy. Goes through the novels very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, people often cite it as, like, where Berserk sort of got most of its world-building mm-hmm. exercise from. It's incredibly long. Although not as dark as Berserk so far. I mean, I know it later got known for being incredibly gay in the, like, side story stuff, not, like, the main narrative. <laughs> I think it did get gay in the narrative, too. Okay, I I, I don't quite uh, know, because uh, that was one where, for some reason, I stopped watching it. I think maybe it was slow to get fan-subbed. Something like that. Mm, it was a little. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the Gwyn Saga, from what I saw, it was very good. The music, I believe, was uh, Nobuo Uematsu, who was just at the last convention we went to, Anime Boston. Of course, no one was there to see mm-hmm. him for the Gwyn Saga. Everyone was there for Final Fantasy. Right. And uh, to claim otherwise is delusional. Also, um, a couple things that uh, had streaming on Crunchyroll. There was Aoi Hana, a Yuri series based off a um, not very super well-known manga in sort of a kind of alternative an- anthology called uh, Manga Erotics F, although it is not a porn anthology, even though it sounds like it. And then Ristorante Paradiso, which I believe we talked yeah, about. Yeah, we reviewed um, that uh, recently. Yeah. So you can just go back and listen to that review, but also available on Crunchyroll. Um, and the manga has been released by Viz, so you can also pick that up. I, obviously, I can't not mention probably one of the other super huge titles of 2009, uh, Hitalia, at least in terms of otaku. Yeah, Hitalia Axis Powers is kind of like the big fandom push right now. If you see people in military uniforms at cons, it's probably people cosplaying from Hitalia. And if you close your eyes and go to any panel, chances are you'll end up in a Hitalia panel. At least a 50% chance. They all turn into Hitalia panels, (laughs) stealthily. (laughs) Every Yoi panel turns into a Hitalia panel. Every... History panel turns into a Italia panel. Lots of Italia fans. Walter Amos and Rob Fenelon are their leaders. And so if you 
search for like Unit 731 fan fiction, the first result in Google is Italia because that's how it rolls. <laughs> it's incredibly fucked up fan base as far if you like really stop and think about it. It's like, hey, this is yeah. kind of... No, I mean, I like Italia, it's a but funny show. there are a lot of really scary fans. Yeah, it's yes. a funny show because it's like <laughs> a little five-minute bit but if you actually mm-hmm. like delve into like the implications of this, I found very few of the people who are into this show seem to be doing this. It's probably incredibly disturbing as far as like the notion of anthropomorphizing mm-hmm. and fetishizing the nations of the world circa the Second World War. Yeah, and, and sort of like downplaying like these terrible atrocities committed by the Axis powers. That's what it's about. Axis powers right. Italia right there in the name. It can be a, a pretty contentious thing. A lot of discussion goes on about this. Yeah. Of course, there's also the whole notion of it's not just they're being anthropomorphized. They're being anthropomorphized as very young looking boys. And so the Yowie fan base for it is like for not just these countries but like very very young people especially in the prequel they're ones not that y- okay while it's true that some of the characters look like they're at least adults albeit quite youthful ones they're the minority compared to like the full cast if you look at the wikia and some of them they look like they are like 12 in the special it's weird because eh. in the regular show you can just say oh well you know this is just a show about the history with these cute looking boys but then they've got like the little short specials where they're, they're chibi and they're kissing each other. Right. Oh, yeah. I don't really like the chibi segments. Those That eliminates any sort of, like, uh, ambiguity about ambiguity, it. Ambiguity, yeah. yeah. They're, they're doing another season of it, and uh, it makes sense. It's one of those things where it's interesting, though, because they didn't mm-hmm. even need TV for that. Because, I guess, Korea complained, and so Hitalia didn't air on television, yeah. so they streamed yeah, it on it the web. Yeah, it was just a web series. And, uh, you know, originally it started off as, like, a... Yeah, it was like a webcom. By an American... I mean, a Japanese lady living in America in New York. And so... So, yeah, I mean, it's a a weird phenomenon that sort of, like, encapsulates where we are now as far as the anime industry may be down, but, like, fandom Mm -hmm. is up. Yeah. The last convention we went to, Anime Boston, attendance was up. It was over 17,000 people there. Even though the anime industry, you know, it's suffering in Japan, it's suffering in America. Right. But fandom is is on the rise. And that's one of the things that that I've thought about and and talked about some is that, you know, when you look at the fandoms that are just American productions, they're much better at monetizing the fandom side of it. Because you get the uh, professionally run conventions, and don't get me wrong, as a fan, it sucks to be nickel and dimed, but you get, like, pay your $20 to get the signature from this uh, actor, and they sell, like, tons and tons of merchandise. But with anime, I mean, most of the merchandise that I end up buying is imported from Japan. It's not like the U.S. companies are really able, for the most part, to get in on the merchandising. And so... That's the thing is that they're relying so much on the DVD sales when if you look at other fandoms, it's not necessarily about surviving based on the DVD sales. It's based on like the merchandising and the conventions and all of this fandom stuff. And I think that the anime industry here is just maybe not able to take advantage of that. Okay, but if anime dub actors started charging $20 to $40 per autograph or photo or whatever such that the anime company they were with got a cut. Would people really still line up for them at conventions? 
I mean, the anime con culture is so ingrained with not paying a dime for all those things which you'd have to pay hundreds of dollars for via a creation con that I don't, I think it's too late to even try and implement something like that. I think that the big problem is that the American companies have got a severe disadvantage in that when you see those credits in the opening of an anime that says, this anime is brought to you by Sega. Yeah. And whatever and whatever and whatever. That means that Sega put money into the show so they could get the video game rights so that they could make the right. video game and like a little anime company. And also so the commercial bits can be for Sega. Yes. I, I just brought up Kenshin and Kenshin is the perfect example of this. That show is sponsored by Sony. Yep. And mm -hmm. during this very popular show, the commercial breaks, you know, the reason Sony justified putting up the money was because every commercial was for this new little product they were trying to push called the PlayStation. Yeah. And so that was how they sold that console was they hitched it to the, you know, star of this hugely mm -hmm. successful anime series. Can you really see that happening now? Well, the thing is that they tried to do it. They tried to do it when they released Devil May Cry. And they tried to package the first DVD with the Devil May Cry 4, like, special edition. But uh, I don't think that played out very well. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even mention uh, Devil May Cry on, on this list as, like, a notable thing. Because it's a, I'm not going to say it was bad. It just, it, mm -hmm. I mean, it's okay. I mean, I didn't mind watching it when it was on, but it's just... Which is the perfect example of what we've been talking about and what this decade is sort of about. Right. Devil May Cry has got some of the most well-done action scenes I've ever seen. In movies, in video games, anywhere. Right. The action scenes in the Devil May Cry video games are phenomenal. Unbelievable. Especially in part three. Yeah. But then, and then the and anime... And then the anime is unable to translate that really even devil may cry had a, a, a nicer than average budget i would say but it still couldn't really approximate like those crazy cutscenes. i mean it yeah. had some moments that got close but mm -hmm. you know nothing on the running down the tower that's what like... i was thinking of was that scene is just phenomenal unbelievable mind-blowing and then you'd think that the version of it that is entirely designed to be watched would at least equal that but yeah. I posted a video on my Twitter uh, a couple of months ago, a sort of student film a bunch of guys made, like an action movie. And I pointed out how, like, the staff, people who made this dumb little movie, all of them now work in either video games or, or live action film as, like, mm -hmm. action choreographers and stuff. And you can see from, like, the low budgetness of some of these things that it, it must not take that much money to put out something that's pretty impressive. Right. But for anime, you got to be able to draw it. I mean, I would say it's harder <laughs> to do it than to just draw the thing, and these guys are doing it on, like, a shoestring budget. It requires a talent that the anime industry is sorely lacking right now, and that's because people need yeah. to eat and people come to, you know, the realization that they cannot feed their family on, on what anime wants to pay them. But let me mm -hmm. wrap up 2009 with... Matt Alt and the last bit from his CNN Go article about anime from uh, the 2000s. 2009. The types of anime shows popular among Japanese and foreign fans continues to diverge. The most buzzworthy domestic fare, and when he says domestic, he means Japanese, not American, are super niche Moe and Lolicon shows brimming with inside jokes and anime stereotypes that few other than dyed-in-the-wool otaku can decipher. In Japan, a poll conducted by the otaku matchmaking service Otakuma, let me let that sink in on you, there's an otaku <laughs> matchmaking service, which isn't even like a dating thing, it's more like people to talk to. 
I was about to say, you mean like Otaku Crush? Specifically, just, you know, speak to a real human being and, you know, not online through instant messaging. I thought that's what maid cafes were for. Yeah, I, I don't know. But uh, it reveals that four of five of the top shows watched by female anime fans are about giant robots. While four out of five of the top shows watched by male anime fans are about little girls. <sighs> mm-hmm. Everything has completely reversed itself. Yeah. Even though it's, it's Moe that drives both of those because the guys yeah. watching the shows about little girls are Moe for the little girls. The girls watching the giant robot shows aren't Moe for the giant robots. They're actually Moe for the pilots and the pretty boy characters. He continues, while anime created for kids is on the wane, the debut of a life-sized, 18-meter-tall, life-size version of the iconic 1970s robot hero Mobile Suit Gundam in a Tokyo park is greeted by some 4 million nostalgic fans over the course of its display. Many are grown fans who bring their children to see the 30-year-old character. To say nothing of the life-size Tetsuin 28s and, you know, the competition. There's a, a robot war going yeah. on over there. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, in a Japanese radio interview... Director Mamoru Oshii publicly admits that he was forced to use computers to animate his latest film, The Skycrawlers, because there simply, quote, aren't enough animators out there to let us do everything hand-drawn. They're not around anymore, unquote. The general feeling is that Japan may not be able to sustain its anime industry in the coming years. What will the second decade of the 21st century have in store for this Japanese pop art form? Check back in 2020, and we'll let you know. So that is it. That is the decade. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I think right now I don't really see a, a turnaround as far as the trend goes. I was pointing out there has been some breakthroughs in mecha design and, like, the giant robot stuff. It's just all been in video games. I mean, if you look at Bayonetta, if you look at Final Fantasy XIII, a lot of this is mecha design. A lot of this is yeah. weird sci-fi stuff that doesn't necessarily draw from the same dynamic or aesthetic as the same guys who are still working in anime today. This is like the new yeah. evolution of what the giant robot is, is things right. like and that. and that's exactly the thing. It's all in video games. Yeah, now. I mean, just imagine if Bayonetta were an anime series. Yeah, it'd be made by B-Train and be absolute shit. Well, I was going to say that if they made an anime series and they could make it good. Just think about... Well, yeah, I mean, the design work for that as far as mecha yeah. is, like, stuff you've never seen before as far as, like, you know, fusing... You know, very much like how Ava was like how nothing had ever seen this before. This Bayonetta is a very similar thing, and no one ever thinks of that as a robot kind of property. No one really thinks of like the mecha design for Final Fantasy yeah. until now. Now, with Final Fantasy thirteen being even more sci-fi than even Advent Children and Final Fantasy seven and such, you have to really step back and say, wow, this is some pretty intriguing mechanical uh, concepts that they came up with that aren't really built off of like a nostalgia throwback idea of like, okay, this is going to be similar to like Kunio Okawara or similar to Gona Guy or similar to Ken Ishikawa and that sort of thing. The new ideas are in the gaming industry now. I just, as I look at anime, I don't know how they're going to turn it around. I mean, the Anime 82 podcast, we were guests on that, and that was Regan's question to, to me. And I want to throw it at, at you guys now, since I've already answered it. Do you think that there's going to be a new country that kind of steps in as, like, the premier place for, like, 
interesting animation. I still think that Japan has got the talent there, and I still think that we're going to see interesting things come out of Japan. For years now, we have seen very interesting things coming out of France. We're actually watching the show now called Wakfu, which is a brilliant little show for children, superbly animated, very, very heavily influenced by anime. I think what really needs to happen in Japan is they need to have or quarter the number of shows that they produce each year, first of all. And then they need to concentrate on making a good show, not just a show that this brand new season, there's this show like Sis X Kiss, or Sis Kiss, that's come out, which is... Yeah. Who is the audience for this show, the premise of which is like, two sisters are competing with each other to pork their brother. Yeah. That is the show premise. Otaku. That ain't gonna play in Peoria. No. I think also that they're gonna need to restructure, to some degree, their business model. Yes. Because... They can't sustain an industry on the same pattern that Tezuka put into place of really cheap, limited animation. I mean, I understand that it got put in place at the time out of necessity, but you can't sustain an entire industry on that. People are not going to stay in the industry if they can't eat. They're going to have to start paying people better. That in itself is going to mean they can produce less stuff because there's just less money to go around. If each production costs more then there's fewer of them that they can do. It's going to be tough, but I think in the long run, it'll be the best for everything, as long as they just devote the time and the money that they do have to really good stuff that's going to sell more. So they can't rely just on these niche properties. I mean, you know, I don't have a problem with them making stuff for niche audiences, but it shouldn't be your primary source of income. I agree. I You should be, you know, making really mainstream, accessible things, and then using the money you make from that to make your niche fan-oriented titles. I mean, I still enjoy Genshiken and such, so that's, I don't, I wouldn't want to But every this, show so. shouldn't be Genshiken. That's exactly right. I think the general mantra that all of us have for what needs to happen, we're not saying it's gonna happen, but the mantra needs to be quality over quantity, as like a, a buzz phrase. I mean, we need to see, like you said, fewer shows, better shows, maybe um, shows designed with more general audience appeal, maybe more co-productions between America and France. Like, I mean, they're relaunching Basquatch, and Basquatch isn't my thing, but it's the right idea. I want to see more OAVs, and I say that because I'm sick and tired of these 26-episode or 13-episode shows that I look at, and I've been saying this for almost 10 years now, these shows that would have been great 3-episode, 6-episode OAV series and are crappy 13-episode, 26-episode shows. I want yeah, to see love more of Gonzo that. if they made OAVs. Yes. Noir should have been 6 episodes. It would have been an awesome 6 episodes. Yeah, a great action-packed little thing. And I said that like 9 years ago. As far as where like the fandom is, where the industry is, I, in my mind, I've sort of been thinking of it in terms of like this extended metaphor. Anime Boston, um, most of the top cosplayed things I was seeing were actually um, not anime things. I mean, there was still a lot of like Dark Knight Joker, you know, two years after the fact. And um, but I think like maybe the one I saw like the most repeated was actually Team Fortress 2. And this is like a continuing thing from all conventions, and it sort of reminded me, uh, in a way, Team Fortress 2 sort of embodies the entire otaku condition. What's going on here? I mean, the premise of these games is like, everyone is playing the same game. 
but you're divided up into two teams that are just fundamentally against each other. There's no reconciling this. There's red and there's blue. Mm-hmm. You know, in anime, maybe it's otaku and, you know, Fujoshi. Who knows? The same entity controls both sides. You're just on different, irreconcilable sides of fandom. The sides still need to exist for the sake of having the battle just go on forever. But at the end of the day, both sides are still in the service of one greater thing. The objective of the game may vary from point to point, but at the end of the day, everyone is essentially going for the same thing. The only way to successfully accomplish this goal is you can't all do the same thing at once. In Team Fortress, there are multiple classes of groups. There's offense, and there's defense, and there's support, just as there are different types of anime fans. And you don't want everyone to just be one thing. One class in particular is called the Sniper. And the Sniper, all they do is they run to a spot, and they sit very still, and then they zoom in on one particular spot. And for that moment, that's all they care about. Then they have to just move to the next thing and then zoom in. And then that's all they care about. This is a really extended metaphor. Moe is the sniper, Gerald. Moe is the sniper. (laughs) We can't have our servers be full with just nothing but Moe because all they're doing is zooming in and caring about like one niche thing. But then they quickly lose interest in it and they move to the next thing. Don't eliminate Moe. We just have to like put like a limit on two things. One, the amount of snipers on our team. Two, we have to even the teams up such that red and blue are equally matched, and then anime will succeed. That is the lesson to be learned of the entire decade in review. Moe is the sniper. Make it a shirt. Uh, <laughs> that was a weird, uh, weird metaphor. It's true. Sure. Anime is a weird fandom. And you're just jealous that you didn't say it first, that I thought it up, and you did not. Uh, it, anime is a weird fandom. We're all out to kill each other, but... We're killing each other together. This is why we have like 5,000 listeners, and if we did a video game podcast, we would have three times that amount. Yeah. We still do anime because we love anime. We, we will right. continue it, to do anime. It's easy to do a video game show because Actually, it's what eats up all our time. But, yeah. you know, there's a billion video game podcasts, and I hate all of them. Every one of the video game podcasts sucks because nobody actually talks about who makes the games or anything like that. They're all very, very superficial podcasts. But, yeah... Anime, I think we are out of the worst of it. I think it's going to get better. I think we're seeing more co-productions on the horizon. I hope so. I hope it. there's not more bad before it gets good again. I don't want to see the anime industry turn into the Hong Kong film industry. People need to start buying these things. People need to start saying, I like the show. I'm going to put the $25, $30 down on the DVD or, you know, $17, buy it online or whatever. Otherwise, if you don't put your money where your mouth is, nothing is ever going to change. In other words, people basically need to like anime itself more than just the idea of anime. I think we're about done with our, our decade interview. Tune in next time. We're actually finally going to do our next show proper, in which it's AWO hard mode. Clarissa will be reviewing 5 centimeters per second. Gerald will be reviewing The Wings of Oniamis, and I will be reviewing Swallowing the Earth. We are totally over time. Uh, I know we were promising to keep things to about an hour or so uh, per episode. <laughs> but technically, you know, we missed a week. So, you know, we owe it to yourself to double up. Didn't we say that we wanted to get through all 10 years in about an hour and a half originally? Nah, we said two uh, hours yeah. originally. Two hours. We said we'd do 10 <laughs> minutes per year. That didn't happen. Uh, yeah. We just can't shut up. <laughs> that is going to do it for us. We'll see you guys next time. And remember, Moe is the sniper. Fucking camping ass 
bitch sniper wall hack hope.